It's the Punk Rock Classrooms Podcast, Punk Rock Collaboration Number Four with Patrick Bass. Oh God, oh Allah, oh Allah, oh God. Want your prayers answered, then you only got one job. Put some good in this world, put some good in this life, and I hope you do it now. We ain't getting it twice. Nipple quarantine, everybody, everybody locked down. All right, we have a special episode, a punk rock collaboration episode, and I am lucky to have a guest with me, an administrator, a rapper, and all-around great dude. Patrick Bass is joining me for this episode, so I'm going to flip it on over to the interview. All right, so we've got Patrick Bass with us on the show for today. So Patrick, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. I grew up in Houston, Texas. Lived there until I was about 16. Um, moved to Minnesota when I was 16. My brother had a home there at that time. My brother's, my oldest brother is 10 years older than me. And my mom thought it'd be a good time to get out of a bad neighborhood and, and go and move in with my brother who was fresh in education. He was a teacher. He was At that time, he was a social studies teacher. So I moved in with him, finished high school in Minnesota, and went to college in Minnesota, a little tiny school of 3,000 called St. Olaf College. Oh, that is yeah. a small little college. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably smaller than Red Mountain, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is, that is smaller than Red Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, again, it was a Norwegian Lutheran's private school known okay. for their choir. So BYU has a really big choir, and... St. Olaf has a really good choir as well. So all 3,000 kids are in the choir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people go to Olaf for that reason. That's, that's their claim to fame as a choir. So awesome. So then from there, I taught, I taught English in Minnesota and um, winded up getting laid off with all my friends from college. It was really cool. Our first five years in education, mm-hmm. we all worked in, in high schools together. So it was fun to be in college and work together, but then we yeah. all got cut when the funding got pulled and so all the veterans came in and took our jobs. And so then we we're on the chopping block and we winded up, some of my friends wanted up getting jobs in international schools. So I got okay. to go to Spain and I, I got to, I guess if you want to call it slumming it, slumming it <laughs> in Spain. Um, so I got to go hang out with those guys. I, I volunteered. I didn't actually get a teaching job. So okay. I collected my unemployment <laughs> and enjoyed the Mediterranean. <laughs> so I did that for a year. It was actually there that I, I heard about Arizona. I met a, I met a former superintendent. He told me about this guy in Phoenix, Dr. Chad Gustin, and um, who's now the superintendent. But at that time, he was a principal at Camelback. Okay. So he connected me with him. And when I got back to the States, I, I came and visited him because I had a buddy from college that lived down here. So I came and hung out with him and then went and met that principal at Camelback. And he gave me a job. I taught there for five years. And he kept on encouraging me to get into admins. Then I was an AP in Phoenix. And then I went to Australia. And then I came back. <laughs> And uh, got into subbing in Scottsdale and then landed a teaching job at Saguaro High School where I taught AP English. Okay. And then landed at Dobson right after that. So you're the assistant principal at Dobson High School. This is your first, this is your first, you did your first year at Dobson and had to deal with coronavirus and all of that fun stuff as, as an assistant principal there coming back. So why, what took you to Australia? What was... At that time, I was fortunate enough, my, my first wife had an opportunity to go to, to Australia to work for ASU. Okay. Of all places, yes. All right. <laughs> she was working for ASU, but in Australia, at the University of New South Wales. Okay. So they were piloting their online program 
and trying to do a model much like what ASU has done. They're, they're sort of, I know they always have the billboard that says number one in innovation. Right, right. They really, they really are though. <laughs> uh, that's not just a sign. It really is the truth. They deliver on that piece. So she, she was able to go all over the place to help people kind of launch their online programming. So I got to go and I got to okay. kind of, um, I got to do a whole bunch of stuff while I was in Australia. It was, it was a fun time. Yeah. So you- lifetime opportunity. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's to go I, to have been to spend a year in Spain and a and a year in Australia has got to be you know that's got to be sort of those are rare occasions for for people to be able to go do that. You said that your your brother was an educator that he was a teacher. Is that what kind of drove you to follow the same path or 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 what got you into becoming a teacher? What was that thing that that made you go? This is what I this is the field that I that I want to be in. You know, I always wish I could say that it was, I had some awesome teacher, right? Like I, I didn't have uh, a Mr. Buckley when I was in high school, right? I didn't have someone that was doing some really cool stuff and was super creative. My teachers are very much, I mean, because most of my, my schooling was in Texas. So yeah. it was very much sit in a seat, get the info, and man, don't you say a word. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what was happening. So there, there was not a lot of room to find any sort of a mirror in who my educators were. Yeah. So I actually had a really bad experience with education. I went to four different high schools, and I, I never wanted to get into education. I was like, dude, I hated being in school. And when I graduate from college, I'm not getting my master's. Like, screw all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but my brother opened up my eyes for sure. And my mom was a teacher, too. She taught for 27 years. Okay. Yeah, so that's so, education in that back. That's a lot of, that's a lot of teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my brother was sort of like, look, you love being on stage. I was really into theater in high school. I was really into rapping. Um, I love presenting. He was like, teaching is an avenue for you to sponsor a club. Maybe you have like a, a freestyle Fridays club. Maybe you do some ciphers. I played basketball for a long time. He's like, well, teaching can also offer an opportunity to coach basketball. Yeah. Right? Like, there are all these avenues that can sort of gel well with like how you, how you like to live your life. So you should really consider it. So I was like, all right, it's a backup plan. So I'll graduate. I'm still going to be a big time rapper <laughs> and a movie star, but um, I guess teaching will be a good, a good uh, plan B until then. And it winded up being something that I fell in love with. And Yeah. You know, for, for me, I think it's a, it's a, I grew up in a, in a small town and wasn't planning on being a teacher. I was going to go to art school, right? Like that was my, that was my route. I was going to go to art school, graphic design, animation stuff. And then, my parents were like, yeah, we're not going to help you if you leave the state and go to art school. And then I was like, well, I, I guess I like politics and history. So I guess I'll be like, I guess I'll be a teacher. I don't, I don't have that. That teacher made me be a teacher story either. So I'm curious if, if that was, if that was the, um, if that's your experience, um, this experience of not, of, of, of a school experience that maybe wasn't one that brought sort of a love of that out in you. Do you think that that's affected the way that you taught? Did that, did that spin? Did that make you go, well, I want to do things differently? Or, or how do you think that affected you as an educator having that route as a, as a kid in school? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I was so young when I got in the classroom. And I, and I at 22, already had a senior class. Yeah. And so the teaching experience for me in my first year or two, which is probably, I would say there's probably some overlaps and intersections with my beginning years to yours and probably most first year teachers where things are very sensitive. 
So <laughs> you think that I'm the cool teacher and I'm going to get because <laughs> they're going to love me. At the end of the day, it's still English. Yeah. And some kids love it, but not everybody loves some of the core subjects. You know, they'd rather do graphic design. Or <laughs> so there was this piece of, yes, I did want to create an experience that was different than what mine was. Mm -hmm. I got in my own way a little bit because when kids give me feedback or parents gave me feedback, you know, you're sensitive. Can I, am I, can I cuss on this or no? Yeah, go for it. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Let me not cuss. Let me not cuss. <laughs> uh, there's a line by Tech Nine. He's a song with Kendrick Lamar where he had this line about, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. So yeah, I'm not cussing, yeah. I'm quoting that line. <laughs> no, it's good. You're good. <laughs> That's how I felt about teaching, though. Like, as I got into it, I wanted to, you know, make it my own and, and yeah. sort of create and shape it the way that I thought was going to be awesome for kids because I knew what I needed. And so I try to create that. It, and sometimes it worked. A lot of times it worked. And sometimes it didn't. And when it didn't, I remember just being really sensitive about it and being sort of all oh, screw teaching, you know, like, yeah, who it still sort of had this vibe of this is just a me to like pay bills. And, you know, I enjoy this and I like it, but people don't appreciate me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it happens, especially, I mean, especially in Arizona, we could talk about maybe a lack of appreciation for educators in Arizona, but that's a whole different topic. So you, what, <laughs> You know, you said you had a principal who, who, you know, encouraged you to do admin work. What's the drive for you now, now that you've been in the classroom and now you, that you've been an administrator, how, how do you see your role? Um, how has it changed from your role as a classroom teacher to an administrator? And, and what does that mean for you? And, and, and as a, and let, let's, let's get, let's get to it as a, as a black man in education right? Like you, and especially a black man in education in Arizona, we could, we could tack those things on top of each other and stack them up. And you're a minority of a minority of a, like, you know what I mean? Like that's, there's not a lot of black educators in Arizona. There's not a lot, a lot of black male educators in Arizona. And then you tack on that you're an administrator. How do you see, how do, how do you, how do you see yourself moving from a classroom teacher to an administrator and what does that mean for you as as a black man as an administrator in in arizona what what, what do you see that being like for you well one i want to celebrate and praise you for for identifying me as a black male i appreciate that because um i oftentimes try to hold space for race conversations and and what happens is some people will say person of color or they'll dance around the fact that, <laughs> that i'm black and so uh, I appreciate you saying that because that's how I identify. I identify as a black male. That's exactly how I believe um, I present. And so most most times. But so I appreciate you 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 being very forthright in that piece. Um, I do want to talk a little about the language, and I promise I'll get to your question. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Dr. Rita Walker, I've been I've been discussing this book and trying to push it as much as I can. Oddly enough, she just got featured on Good Morning America for her book. It's called The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. And it's a, it's a book that's meant for the black community to sort of really start thinking about their psychological fortitude. And she talked about this term minority. And yes, the data tells us that um, the black population is a minority, you know, as of now, right? Right, um, right. For the, for the nation nationally. Now there are some cities like New Orleans and Atlanta and Detroit where we are certainly not the minority. True, yeah. But for the most part, we, we are. So I understand that when it comes to data, we are we're compartmentalized being minority. But she wants to really interrupt this piece because the psyche can can do some pretty dangerous things when you when you see yourself as a minority. Just the term itself is pretty loaded. Um, so I try not to ever say minority. I do like to say marginalized groups or something like that. 
So I wouldn't call myself a minority, but I would call myself a black male that has certainly been part of a marginalized group, right? I, I, I appreciate that. So, th so thank you for, I mean, those are, we're all trying to like, you know, as yeah. someone who's trying to learn and be better about the things we say, I appreciate that. that, that. Yeah, I want to push that mainly for people of color because our psychological fortitude is important as we're getting exposed to so much trauma that right. we don't start thinking of ourselves as being inferior or minor, right? So, right, right. Um, I know that sometimes we get so PC on, on language, dude, that it, it can be stifling. So I don't want to get too big on that, but I do want to just put that out there. Um, how does everything inform what I do now as an administrator? Well, um, you know, as a teacher, it's cool because I got to teach, then go out of the country, then come back to teaching, um, then be an administrator, then leave the country again, then come back as a teacher, and then get back in the You do, You do have a, a, a snaky path, man, where you went. It is. <laughs> it really is. Um, and so it's cool because I thought as a teacher how much this admin doesn't know a thing. <laughs> like, they're not on the front lines. They're too disconnected. They've lost sight of what it means to be with the troops. Yeah. And then when I became an admin, I totally got it. I was like, oh, we were so naive in the classroom. We had no clue what was happening behind the scenes to make sure yeah. that my four walls were safe and that I could do the things I wanted to do. So it was interesting when I got back out of admin and back into teaching. Yeah. Back in those, in, in the teacher lounges again and back in the copy room again <laughs> and hear all of this bickering about, oh, admin doesn't know what they're doing because then I had that lens to be like, well, right. Consider this. I got to offer up something to get them a little bit more curious about what their take was. Yeah. So it was really cool to to have that perspective. Um, the piece that wasn't so cool was that as a black male, you know, I had to show up twice as good. You know, I can't. Everyone is expecting when I present in a room, like, oh, what is this black dude about to say? Right. And then when I start, you know, when when I start presenting or whatever whatever it might be, the topic. People are like, oh, wow, he's articulate. He's not one of those black guys, right? Like, that's where it starts to go. And we see the microaggressions yeah, start to yeah. bubble up and stuff like that. So having to constantly be in command of the English language, in command of how I deliver in a space to make sure that it's airtight is a tough, tightrope to have to balance on. Yeah. So I have gotten better at it over time, but that was a big fight in my year one as an administrator. Uh, which would have been about my 10th or 11th year in education at that time. It was the constant fight of, yes, I speak the Kings, but damn, like, I don't want to be coded. I don't want right. to, I don't want to have to like make what I really want to say so palatable that I've diluted the content so much. I, I don't even know if I'm showing up as me anymore. Right. So, the, like the over code switching that might take place yes. to put yourself at, you know, to do that. Yes. So, um, that piece is so difficult to navigate as a person of color and as a black male in particular, it is really, really challenging. And that's not to say that for other people identify differently for me that, that are, that are non-white, that it's not challenging for them too. It is, but I can only talk about my personal local and immediate experiences. So that's what it's been like. And so now I think when I enter a space, if there is something positive that has come out of all this trauma and all of this, it's a tragedy what's happening yeah. to black yeah. men across the, the country and really around the world as we've seen other protests around the right. globe. It, it has given us a platform to talk about this and to do it in a way that's no longer disguised. Right. And so to have it be as transparent as it is right now is a true blessing. And so it's a way that I 100% plan on surfing. <laughs> so, um, it's liberating. It's a liberating. Yeah. Place. So, so how do you think, so, 
do you see what's what do you see your role as as an administrator do, do, when you're now that you're in at as we have you know the the murder of unarmed black men uh people of color and and, and that issue's going on we have this issue with with police brutality and sort of this sort of we have all these points, you know, being a history teacher, we have all these points where sometimes there's this inflection point where for something that's been going on for so long, the curtains pulled back for a lot for, for a lot of people, right? People go, oh, so we're, we're kind of in, I see this as maybe that moment right now. What do you see yourself in what you do as an educator? Does that change what how does that change what you do as a as an administrator does that give you an opportunity to do more or how do you see you know world events involving you know uh police brutality and you know maybe a a, a broader lens on what has been a continued oppression of you know black and brown people in this country do you see that that well, how do you see that affecting what you do as an administrator in education or just your role in education? Immediately, I think about our our black our black young men entering our campuses, right? That's where my first thought is. That's what I've been sort of this entire time thinking. How am I going to show these young men that they're we like to use this word champion and advocate, but it really is about being a warrior and a brother in arms beside you that yeah is going to help you move forward. That's going to hold space for you because what is happening is traumatic. Your parents are scared or whoever your guardian is, is very, very scared about your life. Every time you leave those doors, there is a terror that is constantly lingering. And sometimes it's beating at a rapid pace and sometimes it's more of a low hum, but it's always there. You better believe it, it's always yeah. there. So knowing that I can offer something to maybe keep it at a hum and to create that trust with families and to create that trust with our students, and to show the community that we have a culture of care, we have people that really love on this yeah. campus, we're gonna lead with love. And we're not gonna get in this whole piece of how can we make sure that your behaviors are optimal, right? So that you right. show up in the classroom to fit a white construct of what it means to be a student, but rather, how can you show up as your authentic self? How can we better equip our teachers to serve you so that there isn't such a disconnect that when you show up as your black self, it's intimidating or it's right. disruptive, right? Right. So I think that that's what I think about immediately in the times where we're at, how am I gonna show up? It's gotta be leading with love and it's gotta be giving out some hugs. I think, I always think about this moment where a fight broke out last year in a classroom and the minute I got into the room, I just walked right up to the black male that was involved with the fight between a white male and a black male and I just hugged him like right away. I was like, it's all good. All right, like just first off, let's just chill. Let's yeah. just get like this. Yeah. No, I'm here, right? And we can get to what happened and why you decided to start fighting with this damn classroom, right? Because that's ridiculous. <laughs> but first, let's just let's acknowledge that you're breathing, you're here, like we're in the space together, bro. Right. Like, right. And then we can start tackling the heavy issues of what we need to start trying to intervene upon. Right. Right. So doing more of that kind of work is so important for our kids. That's what I'm thinking about and how we're gonna show up now because what we're seeing, it's a traumatic experience. This is trauma that our kids are undergoing right now. For sure. And, and to sort of to transition a little bit about, about this idea of, you know, you and in education, and you had mentioned this earlier, this idea that, uh, you know, that you had 
you know, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be a rapper. You're going to have that hip hop stardom. Right. And that was, that was a thing, but you are putting out music, man. I, I see it on Instagram. I see what you're doing. You know, you got that, you got that SoundCloud. I'm going to ask you to drop it later, but, <laughs> but how do you, how do you see, how do you see an intersection between, cause I mean, on punk rock classrooms, we talk a lot about how growing up in that punk rock scene has sort of, uh, it has, affected how we see education right the idea of passion yeah. unity and diy and and what we do right like because that's the scene we grew up in a scene where uh kids came together and they created something and it didn't matter who you were we brought you in and like we celebrated all those differences to create something awesome so you know i'm I, like i i don't have a huge background in and in, in rap and and but you know i i got my catalog of some stuff from the 90s but you know but so for me what do you how did is there an intersection between what you do with music and what you do as an educator how do you see those things playing off each other how, do they change the way that you did, have they influenced your your philosophy on education or the way you handle yourself as an administrator and vice versa does the classroom and does the building influence what you write or what you do as a musician Oh, That's a big long question. So. No, I, I get what you're. I get what you're going though. Um, where you're going with that? So, yeah, man. Immediately, I can't. The first thing I think of as you're talking about, and it's probably as you described to me about welcoming everybody. There is a connectedness of hip hop, right? There is there is something that you feel like, even if a brother puts out an album in New York and a brother puts out an album on the West Coast and on yeah. the South, there is something that all feels like we're tethered together. That's amazing about it. And what I think about is as a teacher, I had a, I had a, I started every single class. I wake up in the morning time. I'm huge on routine, but I, I wake up in the morning time and you learn an education that your team, your team to be, you, you can have, have to. If you want. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Might actually happen. But at least part of the day that I can't control, I, I used to get up. It looks a little differently now, but I would watch local news and I try to get myself some exposure to global news too. And we started every morning in the classroom with a connections moment. And it was a framework that I got from a professor in principal school, but he was fantastic. He, he basically, he created this where I would share and then Josh Buckley would, would hear what I shared, mm -hmm. connect to it and then build upon it. And the next person in the circle would share about what Josh said. Well, Josh, you know, that made me think about this moment and it keeps on going and it's yeah, a connections yeah. moment. And those are the sorts of things that I try to embed in the classroom all the time to keep us as, to create that classroom culture for sure, but a right. culture of love and a culture of like we, we stay connected. That connectedness right. is huge. And when I walked home in high school, middle school, I remember it too, but in high school is where I really got curious. I see the brothers on the corner that were rapping right. and I see ciphers going and I'd be like, whoa, I write poems too, guys. <laughs> like, this is awesome. And all these brothers is like, man, what are you talking about? We ain't write no poems. We just can't come up the dome with it. And I was like, wait a minute, y'all didn't write me that? And they were like, no. And so every day I would try to get my rhymes together and I would try to memorize it because I knew I wasn't able to do it straight off the head. So, right. so I would try to, my vocabulary, like your word bank builds the more you practice it. Right, right. And so I just remember getting in the first time I had like some cat in the hat kind of rhymes. <laughs> everyone laughs and I got made fun of and, and you know I was like heartbroken I was like man screw you guys so I just said that but <laughs> you go back to the drawing board and you keep working on it and you keep hearing what the sound is and like yeah. the vibe and, and once you get that rhythm and you kind of see how 
there's a little bit of, you know, I might talk about your outfit. There's a little bit of, but I'm out here on these streets. There's a little bit of like the machismo and bravado that comes out. And I'm not talking about misogyny, but I'm talking about like, I'm talking about a, like a, a confidence, like right, right. swagger. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the more you got the hang of it, the more you would start to get your confidence up and you kept coming back and kept coming back. And eventually your brother was like, yo, that bar was actually kind of high. You have one this time. You have one. And that's sort of what you try to create in the classroom is to try to pull that out of every kid and try to right. get every voice and try to lift them up. And it's nothing, I mean, think about when we see a kid help another kid, you know, um, in Kagan practice, I think they call it something around like uh, rally coaching. I was like that. Were you like rallying them up and saying, bro, you got this this time. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. You're a bit worried. And so when we get connections and I saw other kids prompting someone who was normally like more reclusive and sort of didn't want to share. Yeah. Look, I mean, it was like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> and so now I think a lot of the, what we call the God and C's, the pioneers, I think they're trying to give platforms to young artists and say, mm -hmm. hey, I want to see your brothers do this. So Jada Kiss on the East Coast has like a whole team that's out recruiting young talent and trying to give them a space. Yeah. Give them a voice. So. Yeah, that stuff definitely, it all is, is flowing through. It's very fluid, I would say. Do, do you think that, you know, the skill that you gained by, by you know, going to, that, going to that corner and then trying to come up with that on the fly, do you, do you think that that, because I got to think for me as a teacher, if, if what we do every day isn't freestyle sometimes, right, yeah. in the classroom, Absolutely. like, do you, yep. do, you, do you think that built you up as an educator to be able to walk into a room and read it and connect with kids because because of needing to be on your feet in those situations oh 100 i mean that that translates as a teacher into admin when you when you design a pd and then you get in there and the teacher throws a wrench at it and you're like whoa i did not see that coming and now <laughs> teachers gotta, teachers don't do that patrick they don't do that <laughs> and now you're gonna adapt and modify and you're right. gonna be like okay i need to hear that voice right yeah i need to validate and reinforce it and now i gotta think about okay can I make the adjustments necessary to, right. to keep this thing moving? Or is it so shattered to pieces that we can't even repair this joint? Right, right. So as a teacher, you do the same thing, right? Like you adapt and modify. You, you, you start living with a lesson at home. You spend all your hours on You're like, oh, the kids don't love this one. <laughs> so then you get in there, a kid says something. The next thing you know, it's like, oh, my God. So this to go well. So, yeah, freestyling is because you don't know what your guy's going to say. If you're in a battle. Right. It's not just all, oh, you know, pass it to me, pass it to me. Right. Actual battle form, well, I don't know what this brother's going to say. You know, he may really get at me. He may know my mom is white down the street. He might hit me with that. <laughs> and so if that happens, how am I going to be able to respond? Yeah, to yeah. <laughs> where, you know, I'm just froze. You got to so, build, you got to build 40 reactions. Like we do with kids in the classroom. You go like, okay, if a kid doesn't get this, I have to be able to, you know, here am I, here are the ways that I'm going to respond to that and, and kind of get through that. I, I can see that connection there. So wanted to, how about, you know, to kind of, to kind of wrap us up, why don't you talk a little bit about what, you know, talk, tell, tell us a little bit about your music and, 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 you know, what you're trying to do with it, what, you know, what does it look like for you? How is it an outlet for you? We talked we, in the show before we've talked about, you know, people finding their punk, meaning what's the thing that influences you or what's the thing that, that lifts you up or the thing that gives you that space to, to kind of hit your moment of Zen or, or do whatever that is. And you and I, we, we both are, we both hit that run, right? We do that running. So I'm curious as to, um, 
talk a little bit about about you know your music and 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 what that's like for you music is there is nothing more liberating than in that space it is by far the biggest passion i have and the most therapeutic outlet i have um and it's not to say that the work of of equity and education is less important it's just that there is a feeling that i get that you can't capture in any other space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, there's a different feeling you get when you see kids accomplish something you, that they never thought they could, right? Right, right. And that's an awesome feeling, but the feeling of music is something that's, there is a spiritual connection, and you can have that too in the classroom, but there's something that's just rhythmic, and you know maybe it's, again, reading some of these books I've been on recently, there's a lot about African culture and how that still lives in us in the beat of a drum, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff, man, it's, it's so powerful. So music for me is where everything just shuts and it's just me and a mic. Yeah. And if I can get a beat right and my voice sits in it right, and when you accomplish it and you're able to mix and master it and you hear it back and you're like, I did it. Because sometimes you have a concept just like in the classroom. Right. You get a concept and you rap it and you're like, you're thinking when you're writing it, oh, people will be feeling this one. <laughs> and then you get on the mic and you spit it and you realize ah, it doesn't blend real well with this particular beat. I don't know okay. if I'm doing voice here. And so when you actually do it all right and you get all the parts where they need to be, it's like an awesome-ass jam session right. where somebody does something where you're like, oh, my God, that was awesome, right? And then yeah. you really get in the vibe. And you're, it's, it's like a trance. You're lost. Like you're completely in a space that it's free from any sort of pressure or being vexed by anything. And so that's why I love music. What's tough is that you know, I, I feel like profanity has a place. I feel like profanity delivers something that's so uh, purposeful profanity, right? Right, um, right. There's a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal where he talks about, you kids don't even know how to cuss, right? I'll show you how to cuss. <laughs> and so, and so um, I do think it's important to use profanity in a way that's purposeful, if, if that's your cup of tea. Um, but I like it. I like when I put out edgy music that's, yikes, what did he just say? Like, I enjoy yeah. that feeling of not being restricted and not feeling as if I have to do the music this way because if I don't, what are the optics? What does it say about who I am as a person? Right. It's an art. It's still at the end of the day, it's an art. So someone who who paints nudes or whatever it might be with their art form that might be seen as, whoa, that's kind of taboo. Right. They still get to do it. It's an art form. And rap is the same thing. And people have started to misconstrue rap. And I think largely because it's black. Um its origins are black. And, and you, so I you, wonder, is there the freedom to do right. what's black music, traditionally black music, in the same capacity that you could do rock or country or whatever it is? Right. You think about so, the idea, I mean, like Scorsese makes movies where there's more F words than any other thing on earth, right? And that's like, oh, it's this amazing piece of art. But then those same people who might praise that correct. would flip and not praise an art form like rap that may have you know, the same, the same sort of, uh, the, the same cursing in it, or the same, you know, profanity in it. Yeah. And like any art form, right, there's some rap that is just riddled with like a lot of misogyny and let me get stuff and let me brag about how much stuff I got. And that's, you know, that's part of the music too. That's part of the culture, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not the same piece I subscribe to, but I understand that it's a part of it. And there are some movies that we would say, oh yeah, that would be rocks. And there's some movies where I'd be like, that, that movie's trash. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it, that's how people feel about the music. And that's okay to feel like it's trash as an art form. Like, it may not be your cup of tea, but right. respect it as an art form. And don't write someone off or say, well, I don't like this person now because they made this type of art. Right, right. 
Right. So, so um, you've got you've got a couple places people can find uh, some of your music, my man. Do you want to do you want to share that out with some folks so they can so they can take a look? Sure, at yeah, it? my artist name is Pat Devon. I have a song coming out that is actually all clean. So after I made this big rant about cussing, um, <laughs> the song is completely clean. It's called A Big Change, and I did it with a the Phoenix Boys Choir director. His name is Herb Washington. Awesome yeah. dude. Um, and he actually did all the piano for it came up with the melody. He just brought me on to write, write the lyrics. Um, we've had a team like that for a very long time where he came up with really cool music ideas and I was able to put words to it. So that's what we've done. It's gonna get featured on this virtual concert that's gonna happen on July 5th. Awesome. And so, um, yeah, so it'll be on Facebook. And again, he goes by Herb Ronnell. The song is called A Big Change. And my stage name is Pat Devon. But I also have music on Spotify. So if you search Pat Devon on Spotify, um, I have some of my old, old music on there. It's called Vintage Vibes from the Vault, Volume 1. Um, and, you know, English teacher has to do a fun pun on that. So that is W-O-N. <laughs> volume 1. This would be cool. <laughs> Where do they get a kick out of this pun? <laughs> that's just so, that's what English teachers do. That's just how it works, man. <laughs> we just have to, right? And, there's, and all the Bs, too, the alliteration that was going on there. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, there's that, and then I have you know new tracks. Ghost Town is my is my leading single that's out that'll be featured on the album. Awesome. My new album that's called Where We Going Next. That's so. rad, man. Uh, Patrick, I appreciate you so much for coming on and, and talking a little bit about your experience as an administrator and as a black man in education. Because uh, I think if we're not amplifying voices, right? If 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 we're not out there, you know, amplifying what it means to be a black man in education, then you will continue to have people who, who dismiss a black man in education, right? Because one, they haven't heard one, they haven't had an experience with one, or there's, look, there's a whole bunch of racism, right? So like, that's, <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I don't like, I don't know how else to say it, right? And so if we gotta get, we have to do something to, 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 to move past that. And as, as a white, male educator i feel like if if i don't help amplify if i don't help recognize then what the hell am i doing with the privilege that i have right like so i appreciate you man being on the show i appreciate you coming on and, and talking about that and uh and sharing a little bit about yourself go check out patrick's uh spotify go listen to some music get get in it get in that space put those headphones on go for that run get that beat going and, and you'll be good to go. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you sending your network. Uh, we need a capsule, whatever pill that is. <laughs> and we need to just throw that pill out to as many white people as possible <laughs> because we need more allies and advocates of what you're doing, man. I, I'm always very, very grateful for the work that, that you're contributing. So appreciate it, man. All right, man. Take care. You too. What a rad interview. That was so great. Uh, remember that you can find us on Twitter at Punk Classrooms. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh R. Buckley. And you can find my punk rock brother from another mother, Mike Earnshaw, over at EduChef Earnshaw on Twitter as well. You can find us on Instagram at Punk Classrooms as well. And don't forget to check out the website, punkrockclassrooms.com, for our blogs, our episodes, show notes, all that good stuff. 
Until then, we'll see you at the show. Oh God, oh Allah, oh Allah, oh God. Want your prayers answered, then you only got one job. Put some good in this world, put some good in this life. And I hope you do it now, we ain't getting it twice. Nipple quarantine, everybody, everybody locked down. Ghost town, ain't nobody on the block now. Quarantine, everybody, everybody locked down.